Good morning, friends. Children, I think you can be dismissed at this time to go to Children's Church. The rest of you can flip right over to Psalm 119. Since you're already in the book of Psalms, it shouldn't be too hard to find 119. In fact, I suspect your Bible may open there automatically, which is a good thing. Well, I have uh, greatly enjoyed our study of this particular psalm. Uh, it has been a, a great encouragement to me in my own walk with Christ and uh, examination of my own soul and the building up of my faith. Um, and I, I hope it has been for you. We are in this Wa stanza, verses 41 through 48, and it seems that uh, we continue to see new and wonderful things in this particular chapter that, that um, draw us to Christ. That is what I have prayed for and desire in each one of you uh, as I pray for that very thing in my own soul. As I have uh, thought about this uh, passage today, I'll be focusing on verses 47 and 48. Uh, you, you can't read these verses here and uh, not come away with an understanding that God has created us with appetites. Let me read them for you, and then I'll make comment on them. Verse 47 says, Psalm 119, verse 47, For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. These are... These are words of, that are describing this man's appetites. Uh, we have, I think, um, an insatiable and maybe even infinite appetite for joy and for enjoyment. Uh, what, what brings you greatest joy in your life? Think for a moment what it is that makes you happy. Uh, God has, has done a wonderful job in creating us, allowing us, um, different forms of enjoyment. We can get joy, good joy, from uh, worldly things and heavenly things. We can get joy from physical things and spiritual things like uh, eating a bowl of Tillamook strawberry ice cream, for example, brings joy to my heart. Um, maybe I should say joy to my stomach. Um, but so does enjoying a quiet read through the Psalms. And so we have these appetites that God has designed and uh, expects us to fulfill. I know that some of you may be thinking that you're going to be lectured on why you shouldn't enjoy physical things, right? Or material things, but you're wrong. Uh, I want this morning to focus on the fact that God has given us appetites uh, that are reflected here in these verses, um, even physical appetites. And the, the process of spiritual growth as we become more like Jesus involves learning to allow your natural appetites to lead you to spiritual ones. Uh, growing spiritually includes the growth of my spiritual appetites and affections. 
um, so that <clears throat> I will be able to experience all that God has for me. Um, I'm, I don't know if you know this or not, but we are, we are not only given appetites, but we are created as worshipers, right? We worship things. Webster's Dictionary defines worship very simply, and here it is, adoring regard. So, what is it that you regard with adoration? You know, there are some things in your life that you may do that on or with, but the challenge for us is avoiding worshiping or having adoring regard for created things instead of the Creator. Servile fear of God a lot of times uh, is seen and experienced maybe, but that's not worship. Enjoyment of him is. So in order to qualify as worship, our thoughts of and relationship with God must be based on love, honor, joy, affection, these kind of things. That's why we are commanded in Scripture to delight in the Lord, to rejoice in the Lord. This is, this is why we are created. Loving God's commandments, as we read here in verses 47 and 48, is a sign of genuine worship. All right? So I want to dive into this this morning and try to explain uh, this idea of delight and affection and uh, appetite. So the WA stanza, verses 41 through 48, uh, has been really a reflection on the effect of the love of God in the life of a believer. Uh, God's Hesed love, which we covered in the first uh, sermon of this stanza, uh, for me, that is his unconditional, perfect love for me, and it includes a lot of things, if you remember, uh, and my love for him re- results in particular things, this, this stanza tells us. It results in one, obedience, right? So if God loves you and you love him, a result of that will be obedience. Another result will be evangelism, talking about it. I will stand before kings and speak of your name. No, do not withdraw these words from my mouth. And so it it results in evangelism, speaking about God to others. And then it also results in worship, which we're going to focus on today. And I contend this morning that worship is the broad category, and it includes these subcategories of evangelism and obedience. So our delight in God, and if we could define worship as that, delight in God, uh, our delight in God overflows into faithful obedience and effective evangelism. If you are truly delighting in God, will you not want to obey him? Will you not want to talk to other people about him? I think so. So here's the summary. If you will grow in your delight in God, which is worship, you will see more consistent obedience and evangelism in your life. Just by delighting in God more. So today my goal is to help you grow in the delight of God. That's what I want to do for you today. So verse 48 says, I will lift up my hands towards your commandments, which I love. So how is the idea of lifting up one's hand towards God's commandment 
actually the worship of God and not the worship of Scripture? Should we worship Scripture? No, we should not worship Scripture. We should worship the God of Scripture, the God who's revealed in Scripture. This is a, this is a vehicle that God uses to reveal himself to you and me. So we're not here, even though sometimes we, it may feel like it, we're not here to worship Scripture. We're here to worship the God of Scripture. So how is it, if we're talking about worship, and verse 48 says, I lift up my hand towards your commandments, which is a synonym for God's word, how is that not Scripture worship? Well, first of all, we need to keep in mind that this is poetry, right? This is Hebrew poetry. And uh, he is, the author here is communicating truth by means of poetic writing. And so he has some liberty and license in that department. But the content of this whole psalm should answer any question that we may have regarding the allegiances of this author. He has removed all doubt concerning the true object of his worship, and we aren't even halfway through the psalm yet. This whole psalm is focused on God's word, but not in a way that it would be considered scripture worship. The author's interest in the word of God is for the purpose of getting to God, the author of the scriptures, not as an end in itself. So I hope you're not confused about that as you attend Sun Valley Church, because we do put a high premium on the word, don't we? Um, which is good, but we're not here to worship the word. We're here to worship the God of the word. The only word of God that we're worshiping is Jesus, right? That's what John says. He says, the word became flesh. That's the word we worship, okay? The, the book you have in your lap is a revelation of the eternal word of God. So he says, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. This is a reflection of a person who knows the commandments, that they are only a means to getting to God. And unless God speaks, we can't know him. In his word, God has spoken. And so we can know him. We can comfortably say that verse 48 is a picture of a worshiper, a, uh, a good worshiper, uh, an accurate worshiper. He's rejoicing in the revelation of God himself when he says he's lifting up his hands to the commandments. So this morning, I want to show you the effects of grace on a worshipful heart. And I think there are some external effects and internal effects. And these are our two main points. So let's look at the external effects of grace on a worshipful heart. In verse 48, we see these things, um, lifting up of hands and meditation. Do you see that there? And although meditation is a function of the mind, it, it is observable, is it not? At least in your own life. Um, these external exhibitions of God or of worship uh, result in a proper understanding of a relationship with God. So if you have a proper understanding of your relationship with God, it will result in external things, okay? Uh, the reason that you may lift up your hands or meditate on the, on the word of God is because uh, of who God is and what he has done, which is revealed here. And these external actions, lifting up the hands towards uh, or in praising God and of meditation on his word, they, they reveal a few things. Number one, a dependence on God to work in us. Um, you know that, that any spiritual activity in your life is a result of God's faithfulness to you, right? This isn't something that you muster up or uh, come to your own on. 
Uh, it's, it's a dependence upon God to work in us. God, God works in us to trust and hope in him. You don't trust and hope in God in any other way except that God has initiated it. Secondly, God works in us to keep us. The, the doctrine of perseverance, Jude 24. Now to him who is able to keep you. All right, so he, God is able to work in you to a degree that you continue to believe. And then God works in us to seek him with our whole heart, which is uh, a, a theme that runs throughout this whole chapter, Psalm 119. Seeking God with our whole heart is, a, is actually a gracious work of God's spirit in us, isn't it? Yeah, so dependence on God is evidence uh, or an eternal, external effect. Secondly, thanksgiving for God's supply. Are you thankful for God's supply? I mean, when you pray over your meals, what are you doing? Most of the time, if you're like our family, we thank God for things in those prayers. Um, we, we know that God supplies our needs, and this is just one of those needs that he supplies, food. And so it gives us opportunity to acknowledge that. Um, where does our thanksgiving end? Uh, I'm not saying what time does it end, but when or where does the thanksgiving end? I would say this, our thanksgiving for all of what God is, who he is, what he has done for us, ends in evangelism. All right, think, think with me. Evangelism, in part, is a form of, and in the end to, thanksgiving. Follow me here, because I think this is important. When we tell others about Jesus, we are basically overflowing with thanksgiving for his grace, aren't we? And we are, if we are truly convinced that, that God is who he says he is, and his word is, it's, is of value as we think it is, then it should be that way for everybody in our lives, including those who don't know Jesus. So being thankful and telling others about God is an act of worship. So when you see something beautiful, let me give you an illustration of how this works. When you see something beautiful, what do you do? You, you want to tell people about it, right? I was up hiking on the Kawichi Trail yesterday morning before the sun came up, but when the sun came up, I took a bunch of pictures. Why? So that I could just go back and look at them? No, so I could show people what I saw. And so as soon as I got home, guess what I did? I showed my pictures of the sunrise to my family. And they enjoyed it. it, it their enjoyment of the picture completed my joy. It wasn't complete until then. It wasn't complete until I shared it. And so, continue to follow me here. Uh, when we call others to come and enjoy something with us, it, it, it completes it. Um, it their the desire to have them enjoy it and their enjoyment of it really completes the event. This is what we see in James 2.22. You see, he says, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. So what completes faith? Works. In the same way that our love for God is completed by our obedience, love for God ends in obedience, telling others, telling others about God completes our thankfulness. Does that make sense to you? So that's an external thing that we see. The next is obedience to God's commands. 
You remember what uh, Samuel told Saul uh, when it came to his sacrifice, his illegal sacrifice? He says, he says Saul, God, God desires obedience, not sacrifice. That's really an important concept in the Christian life. God desires our obedience, not sacrifice. It's not in the hearing of the word that God is pleased, but in the doing of the word that God is pleased. He says this in Deuteronomy 5, And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. Not just learn them, not just hear them, do them. Hearing and not doing is a self-deception, we read in James 1, 22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So sitting here is important and good, but if, if this is where it ends for you, then it's not good. Right? Doing it, applying it is where the good is. Jesus said this in Matthew 7. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. That's not what pleases God. So is your Christian profession, what you say you believe, confirmed by what you believe or by what you do? Is your faith established by your creed or your practice? It's got to be practice, right? This is what the Bible says. Peter says this in 1 Peter 1. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially, how? According to each one's deeds. That's how God judges. Same thing, idea is said in Revelation 20 by the Apostle John. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. This is judgment. And the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Not to what they believed, not to what they said, but what they had done. So increased knowledge, as good and valuable as that is, is not the goal. The goal is increased application. This is what Mark Twain famously said. It ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me, it's the parts that I do understand. And isn't that an important statement? So when there is a lack of doing the word, it demonstrates a lack of love to Christ, no matter what says, no matter what comes out of the mouth. When the Apostle John was defining Christian love in 1 John chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, he said this in verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or talk, but in deed and truth. It's not what comes out of your mouth. It's what actions take place. And so saying you believe certain things is one thing, but doing them is the important thing. So to say that we love God or we love his commands without obedience to those commands reveals a self-deception at best. The, 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 the genuineness of our delight in God and delight in his word is directly related to the diligence of our obedience. I hope you see the importance of this. Jesus, this was an important concept to Jesus 
And he, he spoke of it quite often. And he said this in Luke 11. As he said these things, Jesus was speaking. A woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you. This woman was so moved by what she heard. Blessed is the, the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. But he said to this woman, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Doesn't matter what you hear. Well, certainly it matters because faith comes by hearing, right? But it doesn't matter really what you hear. It matters what you do with what you hear. That's a key part of understanding this idea of delighting in God. Fourth, loving God's commands is the next thing that I want you to see here is an external evidence of a delight in God or uh, a display of the active grace in your life. Loving God's commands. Do you love God's commands or, or are you kind of like resistant to them? Do you hate them? Um, this is the focus of verse 47. So this point is actually a segue into our second point. Let's talk about loving God's commands. That's an internal effect, isn't it? Love is, of course, can be played out externally, but it's an internal effect. The internal effects of grace are love and delight. When I love something, when I delight in something, it's something that happens within me, internal. A heart affected by grace delights in and loves God's word because we know, those of us who have been affected by grace, that that God's word is the pathway to God himself. Love and delight for God's word are internal things that are a direct result of grace. God is, if God is gracious to you, the result is delight in him and his word. Because we only delight in things we love. We don't delight in things we don't love. You know, I... So there are some of you who are strange in this room who delight in exercise. Uh, I don't delight in exercise. I do exercise, but I don't delight in it by any means. Um, it's kind of like when I know that the time is coming, I get depressed and I start walking around like that, you know, and march down to the bike and get on that thing. And that's not delight. That's not the way we respond to God's word. Love one another, serve. No, the internal effects of God's word, love and delight. Look at the claim here. Look at the claim in verse 47. For I find my delight in your commandments. He's claiming delight, that he loves the word of God, delights in the word of God. Um, this is quite the assertion. But saying and doing, I mean, it's easy to say that, isn't it? But... The test comes in the doing. Rubber meets the road. Why, why does a person affected by grace delight in and love the word? Uh, this, is, this is where I want you to, to start understanding uh, and embracing the delight in God's word and delight in God himself. Okay? My goal this morning is to help you delight in God more. This is where we need to grasp what I'm saying. Why does a person affected by grace delight in and love God's word? First, it's a better delight. Better than what? Better than the world's delights. 
All right? it, the, the delights of God's word are, are more substantial than the delights of the world. And I'm, say, I'm not saying that the delights of the world are of, of no value. They certainly are. But the delights of God's word are better, is what I'm saying. This kind of delight is not a superficial one uh, uh, that the world might enjoy in a moment of pleasure. It's a, it's a delight based on better things, eternal things, sure things. This is what the Apostle John said in 1 John 2. The world is passing away. Even the good things in the world are passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Those things are eternal. Psalm 44 verse 7 trying to help you understand what this means about a better delight. The, the psalmist here in, in chapter 4 was comparing his delight with the delight of the world. And he says, you have put more joy in my heart than they, that is the world, when their grain and wine abound. So the best that the world can offer is nothing, in the, at least in the mind of this uh, psalmist in chapter 4, is nothing compared to the delights of God. Even when it is best for them, it's better for me. So why does the person affected by grace delight in the love of God? It's a better delight. Secondly, it's a transforming delight. Do you know that delighting in God actually transforms you? It changes you? The delights of, of, of God's word perfect us more than the world's delight might perfect us. See, Tillamook ice cream... Um, affects me. Um, I enjoy it, but it's, it's, it has a bad effect on me. The initial effect is wonderful. There's this, I don't know, endorphins, I guess my wife would call them, um, that take place when I put that scoop of ice cream in my mouth, and man, that's good. But I tell you, it's not too long where I'm saying, why did I do that? Right? Um, most of the world's delights are not meant to transform us, they're, they're designed to entertain us, not transform us. This is not the case with godly biblical delight. The godly biblical delight not only draws our affection, but they transform us from the inside out. This is God's intended design. When, when we spend time with God, when we are in his word, there is a joy and satisfaction that begins to transform our affections. And we begin to grow in our enjoyment of them. The, the reason for this is that God is the source of joy. He is the source of happiness. And he reveals himself here in this word, which is why the more time you spend here, the more it draws your soul. I want you to notice here in verse 47 that the author didn't put his delight in other things, in sinful things, for example. He didn't put his delight even in the promises of God's word. He says he delights in the commandments. Now, we know that the synonyms here are many in this chapter, particularly for the word of God. Commandments is one, promises, precepts, and so forth. But he didn't choose the word precept. He didn't choose the word promises he chose the word commandments why why is it that his delight was in the commandments i would have thought i would have written my delight is in your promises right i love the promises of god forgiveness of sin eternal life and all those things who doesn't like that the commandments of god wouldn't have been the first thought to my mind 
I really like it when you restrict me, God. Is that, that's what he's saying. Why? Why does delight come from commandments? Promises seem to be so much better, so more encouraging. Well, I think, I think it is this. Um, even though promises are a great source of encouragement, commandments require our involvement. Um, with faithful, willing, joyful responses to God's commands comes transformation, joyful transformation. The commandments bring compliance to God's will. That's why they're commandments. God wants us serving. God wants us sacrificing. God wants us loving each other. And so he commands us to do it. And when we do it, what are we doing? We're complying to the will of God. We're, we're getting in line with the character qualities of a person who's following God. And in that vein comes joy, fulfillment, peace. That's, that's the right path of fellowship and communion with our Creator, who is the source of joy. The author, even here, didn't put his delight in the study of God's Word, um, but in the obedience to God's Word, the commandments. You know, I, I love to study God's Word. I love reading commentaries. I love doing word studies and discovering the outline of the passage. I really enjoy that part of my job. Um, but the ultimate delight in my study of God's Word is the discovery of God. I study to get to know God. I, if, if my enjoyment was in getting to know the Word in and of itself and it has an end in itself, Paul would call that a knowledge that puffs up, right? Not a love that builds up or a practice that builds up. So let's look at the reasons why grace produces love and delight in God's word. Reasons to delight. If you're, if you're not practically convinced, I want you to listen closely. If, if you're intellectually convinced but just aren't there practically, listen closely, if you would. Reasons to, lie, to delight. <clears throat> the first is this, the substance of the commands. The substance of God's word is a reason to delight in it. What is the substance of God's word? Law and gospel. And if we take those individually, what is law? The law of God. Aren't most governments in this world based on the law of God? We all agree that it's good to submit to the laws of the land because everything goes better if we drive on the right-hand side of the road. This is simply a reflection of God's law in our lives. It's, it's God's moral law. Um, God, God's law deserves our love and delight because even those who deny them believe that they are good and acceptable laws to live by. Uh, this is how America works. This is where we live. And our governmental system is based on God's laws. But it's also, and I think more importantly, uh, Gospel. The substance of God's word is law and gospel. And gospel offers the best remedy for our problems, doesn't it? God's commandments deserve our love and delight because of how they deal with sin. 
and how, how the, the Word of God prepares us for death. Um, and they deserve our love and delight because of the outcome of rejecting God's Word, rejecting the Gospel. So the reasons that we should delight in God's Word is because of the substance, law and Gospel. Secondly, because of the state of the renewed heart. You know that your new heart is suited for God's Word? We obey, not any longer if you're in Christ, because of threats, right? We may have one time had obedience because of the threats of God's word. If you don't obey, this will happen. And so we don't want that, so we obey. It's like, you know, your parents, either you take out the trash or else kind of thing. That's not how we respond to God's word anymore or God's commandments. We, we obey now because of the new inclination of this heart that we've been given in conversion. You look at, back up in Psalm 119, verse 36. Incline my heart to your testimonies. There it is. He's asking for his, his new heart to start pumping new inclinations, new desires, new affections. This is what God says he will do for all those who are given a new heart, Ezekiel 36. So when, when your new heart is, is outfitted with grace, obedience is not something that's tedious, but it's actually joyful, delightful. This is why Jesus could say that his yoke is easy and burden is light. This is why the Apostle John could say that his, his commandments are not burdensome. Because we have a new heart that is inclined out of joy to obey, not out of fear. You're, and I guess an easy way to say this is that your new heart is designed to enjoy obedience. So the next reason here why grace produces love and delight in us is because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he assists obedience. He, he strengthens the will to delight in God and his law. And this is, Paul said this to the Philippian church. He said, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. The, the presence of the Holy Spirit makes this happen in you. He has given you a new heart and then he begins to exercise it. And that's why up in verse 32, he, the, uh, the author prayed for an enlarged heart, an exercised heart, one that would work and function well. Next reason why grace produces love and delight in us is the rewards from God towards those who obey. You know, God's word is full of rewards. Um, God knows us. He knows that we respond better to promises of reward that's how we get our children to do things a lot of times, right? If you do this, you can watch, you know, 15 minutes of, you know, whatever. SpongeBob. And so we get our kids to obey because of promises and rewards. So God, you know, nothing changes when you become adult, I don't think. We think we still respond to promises of reward. And so God promises reward. And guess what? We bite. And it's good. If you'll obey, I'll give you peace. I'll give you assurance. I'll give you satisfaction and fulfillment, joy and delight. Just obey. How about this? If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. 
That's a promise of reward. And so we like the idea of being saved. We like the idea of the promise of forgiveness. And so what do we do? We obey the command to believe. I'll believe in Jesus because I want <laughs> heaven. I, I, I don't want the punishment of hell. I, I want my sins forgiven. I want the peace knowing that God has accepted me. And so these promises are rewards for those who obey, both in this life and the next. You know, he, said, he says this in 1 Corinthians, Paul does, 15, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know the labor of the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because God has made promises. That's why. Romans 8, 18, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed. Speaking of the promises of eternal life. You know, we go through difficulty now and here because of the promises in God's word about the future. So we have these promises, and one promises that's temporal, all right, is the promise of peace of conscience and joy of spirit. I know that's important to most of you. The prophet Isaiah says, and the effect of righteousness will be peace. The result of righteousness is quietness and trust forever. That sounds good to me. That's a promise to get me to be righteous, to be righteous in Christ, to pursue forgiveness of sin in him. <clears throat> and we know that joy, of course, is something else that we want, and that's connected to obedience also in quite a few places in Scripture. This one in Romans 14. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, that is Christ's righteousness, and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So we have these reasons to pursue delight in God and His Word, and the, the fifth one here is a love for God creates a value for everything that comes from Him. Uh, it creates a value for everything that comes from Him. Um, you remember, I used this I think last week or the week before, but when Peter had fished all night and was tired and wanted to go home, Remember that story in the Gospels? And Jesus was on the shore and said, hey, Peter, I want you to throw your net on the other side of the boat. Even though I'm a carpenter and you're a fisherman, here's, a, here's a, something I just thought of. Why don't you throw your net on the other side? So, you know, Jesus, of course, uh, knew that the water ran all the way under the boat, as did the fish. And so he wasn't, he wasn't, suggesting that Peter didn't know something about fishing. He was wanting Peter to trust him. And so Peter, if it would have been anybody else's suggestion to throw the net on, in, on the other side of the boat would have been met with contempt, right? But it wasn't met with contempt. Why? Because it came from Jesus. He said, Master, because you said it, I'll do it. You see, the love of God creates value in everything that comes from him, including his commands. If you love God, your delight will be in his commands because they're from him. If you tried to tell me to sacrifice, I would say, take a hike. But since God tells me to make sacrifice, I'll do it delightfully because I know he has his, my best in his heart. So friends, uh, 
pursuing delight in God is what I've been trying to suggest to you and encourage you towards this morning. Um, and it's, it's an attainable thing. It, it is something that, that you can experience. Um, it's something that, that God wants you to experience. God has teased you and, and dangled carrots in front of you your entire life to get you to that place of delighting in him. So if you want more consistency in your obedience, if you want more uh, opportunities and um, practices of evangelism, we need to delight in God. Um, nothing is too difficult when it's grounded on delight or love, is, is it? You know, we, we, we all function like this every single day. We, we are able to do things because we delight in the person we're doing them for. And it's the same with God. Delight in them, delighting in God's commands uh, makes his commands a, an easy path, a, a, a light yoke, a, not a burdensome one. It sweetens everything in the Christian life. It gives you uh, actual desire a motivating desire to be in the fellowship of the saints, to, to be in communion with God on a more regular basis. Um, and so I, I want to encourage you to grow in your delight of God. Um, test God in this. Spend time with him. Spend time in his word. Asking the Holy Spirit to do a work of delight in your soul and see if something happens. I mean, what is there to lose? So why not pursue God at a little more deeper level in hopes of receiving this delight that seems to be sprinkled all over Scripture for those who love him? Um, you know, I, I, I know this to be true of you because it's true of me. Um, we, as uh, Christians, find ourselves drifting off from time to time and, and losing focus or, or forgetting where our joy and delight come from. And we start pursuing things in this world that don't really bring that joy and delight that, that we desire. And then we wake up and realize, where, where am I? Why am I here? What happened? Where did I go astray? And <clears throat> That pursuit is fine, but it's not the best. The, the best response to a, to a realization of a coolness of heart, or maybe in a worst case, a callousness of heart, is not to try to think about where it began, but repentance of where it is. Which is why when we gather on the first Sunday of the month, uh, one of our objectives is to give you the opportunity to do just that in the Lord's Supper, is to confess things that may have interrupted your pursuit of joy and delight in Christ, to confess those things that, that may have taken the place of the ultimate joyful one, the one who promises joy and delight to those who will follow him and pursue him. And so as we come this morning to this place at the table this morning, I want you to just 
examine your life. Look inward and see if there might be some things in your life that may be upside down. Um, things that m you might be hoping in for joy and delight that, that have taken the place of your joy and delight in God and his word. And then simply repent of them, confess them. All right? I'm, that's my prayer.